Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in, to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. To those of you who are season one listeners, welcome back. And to those of you who are new to my podcast, welcome to season two of the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Pip. I'm a practicing midwife and enthusiast of all things women's wellness, especially when it comes to pregnancy and motherhood. Do you find yourself with lots of pregnancy questions unanswered? Do you feel that extra midwifery support would be useful to you? Do you fully understand how to enhance your pregnancy wellness? You are in good hands. This podcast is for you. Alongside this, I have also been busy creating a 12-month pregnancy journey support group and course to provide you with a whole package of expert wellness and pregnancy information to guide you every step of the way leaving no stone unturned from trimester one right through to trimester four. And I'm now enrolling expectant mums in their first trimester. Spaces will be limited. So if you think this sounds like you, get in touch through my social media or at midwifepip.com. Over the upcoming 15 episodes, I'm excited to be chatting with expert guests, and real women on this season to bring you honest, evidence-based information and top tips to navigating your pregnancy wellness journey. I hope these episodes leave you feeling positive and empowered. And don't forget, for more support and birth preparation, to check out my website, midwifepip.com for your free birth preference plan download. I hope that you are sat comfortably and ready for the midwife chats and knowledge bombs to commence. During the journey of pregnancy and birth, there can be many twists and turns that crop up along the way. And for this reason, many women will meet an obstetrician during pregnancy, during labour, or even after the birth of your baby. An obstetrician is a doctor who specialises in these specific areas And they're there to support you to make informed choices and decisions about your care pathway. For some women, the idea of seeing an obstetrician feels a little anxiety provoking or concerning that interventions may be recommended or they may be given labels such as having a high risk pregnancy. So on this week's episode, I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Ellie Rayner, 
who is here to explain why meeting your obstetrician need not be an anxiety provoking experience and to reassure you that we are all on the same team when it comes to your pregnancy and birth. Dr Ellie Rayner is an obstetrics and gynaecology specialist doctor working full time in Devon. She's also an antenatal and hypnobirthing teacher and the founder of the Maternity Collective. She prides herself on wanting to make obstetrics accessible and understandable and is passionate about providing expectant parents with accurate, up-to-date and evidence-based information to enable them to make informed choices about their care. In addition to being a member of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, she has qualifications in medical education and health services improvement and utilises all these skills to ensure women at whichever part of their motherhood journey feel supported to make decisions that are right for them and their baby. She's particularly interested in improving women's pregnancy and birth experiences and reducing the chance of complications and feels that this involves comprehensive pregnancy and antenatal education, which should start even before conception. So welcome Ellie and thank you so much for taking time to join me today. I'm so excited to chat. Hi Pip, I'm very excited to be here too. It's lovely to catch up. It is, especially in this crazy world that we're currently living in COVID-19. It's brilliant to see all the work that you're doing to help support women really navigate the kind of choices that they might be making. So thank you. Oh no, it's my pleasure and it's really lovely to chat today. Brilliant. So Ellie, I wonder if you could just kind of summarise for everybody listening what your kind of role as an obstetrician looks like. So an obstetrician is a doctor who specialises in pregnancy, labour and birth. So being that we've been to medical school, like any doctor would have, and then we've chosen particularly to specialise in women's health and in pregnancy and the period after birth. So our role is often to look after ladies and women whose pregnancies are deemed a little bit higher risk. So ladies that might be at risk of complications And that could be anything from having a medical condition that they know about already before they even fall pregnant, such as maybe diabetes or epilepsy, or that even could be something like their pregnancy being more complicated this time because maybe they had a previous cesarean last time. Uh, It could be also to do with if we know that there's a risk that their baby could be at higher risk of a complication. And again, we're here to support them and to help them on that journey and to help them feel like they're in safe hands and about providing ways to reassure them and to make their pregnancy as safe and as healthy as possible. Um, This is something we do every single day. We're um, all trained in obstetrics and gynaecology, so all aspects of women's health. So lots of times you'll meet an obstetrician who you might have met during your journey before you were pregnant. And that's a really nice thing. And we use those skills um, throughout our training to develop to transition women from their gynaecology into pregnancy and then into motherhood and then into later life potentially as they are women of all ages. Oh that's lovely so your role really is all about sort of everything women's health I suppose isn't it and that whole kind of journey but then we have this really exciting certainly in my opinion as a midwife part in the middle which is that that pregnancy birth and, and motherhood stage. 
So Ellie, that sounds really exciting. So I can totally see why you were drawn to a career as an obstetrician. But in your opinion, kind of what made you decide that that was the right path for you? So I think we, as obstetricians and gynaecologists, lots of us do stay very general, but a lot of us do tend to find an area that we're particularly keen on. And for me, that's definitely obstetrics. And that's definitely the pregnancy journey as part of a woman's life cycle and for me I that actually started all the way back at medical school so I went to train at Exeter University and we actually learn uh, medicine in a life cycle and the first thing you learn in the first few weeks is you start with conception and you start with the anatomy and the physiology and to do genetics and all parts of the body to do with reproductive health and that was the first thing that we learned at medical school where I trained and actually that really inspired me and whether it was because I was at a new university and I'd moved away from home and I was excited to be there or just because I was excited to be learning but I found it the most exciting couple of weeks and it really inspired me and I thought I love this this is really interesting I think this is really exciting and I was excited to hear about the different conditions that we would learn about and how to treat that so that started way back in the first month of medical school. I was like, actually, this is what I want to do. I like pregnancy. I like conception. And we learned about normal and um, the normal process of labor and pregnancy and birth. We learned about physiology and about all about how our bodies work during pregnancy. And that has stuck with me for a really long time. And you flirt with other specialties on your journey and you maybe think, oh, maybe I'll think about pediatrics, but actually obstetrics really drew me. And it drew me to that point of working with expectant parents on what is the most exciting part of their life. And I know you'll know Pip as a midwife, we get to work with women and their partners at this incredible time where they transition in their lives from having a baby that they've nurtured and grown for all those months to it being a real person and we see that transition and we're in such a privileged position I couldn't imagine doing anything else and I think uh, we as obstetricians have such a wonderful job and midwives we're in such a position to work with families and as an obstetrician you see the medical side of pregnancy sometimes but we do also get to see that normal that normal pregnancy labor and birth experience which for so many women is a pivotal point in their life and what a more magic thing to do every single day of the week than do that so it uh, definitely attracted me quite early on I've never been able to shake the buzz of labor ward and still every time and I'm sure you're the same every birth still excites me and um, find interesting and every pregnancy is so different it's still a great thing to do whatever day of the week it is and I can't imagine doing anything else so I really feel like I found my purpose I think obstetrics is a passion for many people and I know midwifery is as well lots of us have to be very engaged with it you take it home with you you spend your whole life thinking about it and it's a specialty that um, does attract a lot of people that are really passionate about making a big difference Amazing. And we are so grateful, Ellie, that you have gone down the kind of journey that you are. And I'm sure I speak for plenty of women that you have supported and helped in their journey. And I totally echo what you said. I mean, when these little ones come into the world, it is just the most magical experience, isn't it? And to be part of that and to be able to support these expectant parents is just amazing. And it's something that no matter how many times we are, we are involved in that and we witness that, it always kind of and um, kind of captures your throat a little bit doesn't it it's always beautiful it does and I can still remember being a medical student and watching my first ever birth which actually did happen to be a water birth 
it was on a delivery suite and I can still remember how I felt and I can still bring myself back to that exact moment when I realized how incredible that was and just as an observer and I was so grateful for the couple for letting me be there but that really you know they I'd love to meet them now to tell them they actually inspired someone to go on and pursue that as a career and I can't imagine how many births I've been at now but I can still take myself back to that exact moment that I first saw a baby being born and I will hope I never lose that and I hope I never like you ever get to lose that excitement of doing what we do because it is such a wonderful job and it's a job that I feel really proud to have and I tell everybody what I do because I'm really proud of it and I couldn't imagine doing anything else I'm very glad I didn't do A&E or pediatrics or any of the things that at one point I thought I might do but um, it's a job that I think and you'll know as well has really powerful highs and lows and they are still worthwhile every second doing because I think we get an opportunity to make a difference and I'm not sure many people can truly believe that and I do think we do get that opportunity in the job that we do yeah definitely and every single day like you said is different which is wonderful and I suppose when we talk about how special this moment is for expectant parents and how it's not just one day birth it's something that parents will carry with them for the rest of their lives and that's why it's so important that we make this a positive experience and I know you are as passionate as I am about making sure that regardless of whether this doesn't go to birth plan A, and there are some twists and turns or some medical interventions that are recommended, it can still be such a positive and empowering experience birth, can't it? I think absolutely. And I think we have to move away from thinking that anything but a calm, unassisted birth is a really positive birth experience, because I think there are many forms of birth. And I think all of them can be really, really positive there are elements of perfection in all births and there are some births in which do stray a little bit from their original plan but that women and parents and couples still look back on with really fond memories and really regard as still the best day of their life so I I think so and as an obstetrician I don't I would say that you know probably the majority of the births I'm involved in are not on someone's birth plan not many people put would like forceps on their birth plan <laughs> but, I'm yet to see that either <laughs> I haven't seen it I'm waiting for the day probably <laughs> gonna happen but I it's really it's really wonderful that we can maybe take an experience which is slightly straying but still bring it round to a positive one where mum and baby are safe and the experience is something that they would be proud to talk about and be and and discuss with their friends and family and look back on with fond memories yeah absolutely so Ellie in your kind of day-to-day role I say day-to-day day and night role as an obstetrician what are some of the kind of common points in a women's journey that you might meet meet expectant mums and dads and start to kind of chat with them so I think there's three main occasions and I think they could be firstly if it's a planned appointment so a midwife or a GP might refer a woman and their partner to an obstetrician either before they're pregnant or during their pregnancy for a for an opinion on if something that's going on might need managing in a certain way to keep 
mother and baby safe in the pregnancy and optimize conditions. So if you've got maybe pre-existing diabetes, you might be referred before your pregnancy for a planned appointment to discuss how diabetes impacts your pregnancy. It may be during a pregnancy, a midwife identifies that you're maybe measuring smaller than expected with a tape measure, or that she feels that as you've had a previous cesarean section or a complicated birth, it may be worth discussing with an obstetrician if there's anything that should be put in place this time. So they would be planned reasons. So you should know about those appointments in advance and you'd have an opportunity to come and have questions answered and information. And in normal times, you usually bring a birth partner with you or or someone to discuss or support you uh, we can still do that regardless at the moment via telephones so you could always um, call a supportive person to be on the phone if you needed to speak to them with a doctor and then there's the more emergent or urgent occasions so that might be if you've noticed that you've got a little bit of bleeding or if you've got some abdominal pains or some tummy pain that's not quite right maybe your baby's not moving as normal and you may not have planned to come and see us that day but we will we are like you as midwives we are here 24 hours a day seven days a week and um, there would be a doctor who'd be able to see you and it doesn't necessarily mean anything needs to happen or change or anything is worrying but just for a review potentially have a chat have an examination and just see how things are and then there may be the, the third time which is the time during your labor or your birth that you might meet an obstetrician and again that might be a more unplanned or an unpredictable event where again your midwife has identified that she's got a reason or he has that they feel um, a doctor's opinion might be warranted and that can be for a varying different reasons but I think they're the three main times that you might meet an obstetrician um, if you're having a low low risk pregnancy and you're otherwise normally fit and well and healthy you you know as you know you wouldn't meet us you would go through your whole booking pregnancy birth postnatal period without ever meeting a doctor and that is completely you know normal for that to happen but there may be occasions when you do need to come and see us and we will be here to see you if you need us. Amazing. And that's not a scary thing, is it? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think there's always, I think obstetricians always carry, you know, the midwife might say, oh, I'm going to ask the doctor to see you. And I think that could cause some anxiety, but that's never because it always means something really serious. It just means that some things, um, the way we work with our guidelines and our p protocols need an obstetrician to say that they're happy for you to go home or for us to arrange an appointment to follow you up in a clinic and that would be our responsibility to sort that appointment out or to arrange a scan for example and unfortunately in most situations that does require a doctor to do some of those things so it might be that you see one and they just explain the plan it might be that the midwife just discusses it with the doctor and you don't actually meet that obstetrician but there could be lots of reasons but it doesn't always need to be a scary worrying thing that we're going to tell you any bad news or significantly impact your pregnancy there can be loads of reasons that you meet us along the way and then you never see us again <laughs> and that's okay too yeah, definitely. I suppose it's useful for ladies that are listening to understand that when they see their midwife, their midwife is a specialist in normality. So when everything's going well, and then what we're looking for is detecting when things are moving out of that normality. And when that happens, they're moving out of our remit of speciality and into yours. So that's when we might say, we're going to get the doctor because this isn't my area of expertise anymore. This is Dr. Ellie's. So then you come in and, and, and kind of make that plan. And we're all working as a team. And our goal is all absolutely for, for that woman to have all the information and, and to be able to make her choices that are right for her. And we are absolutely working together for you. And I think that's what a lot of 
parents don't understand is that we do have this fantastic model of care in this country where we do have midwifery led and consultant led care but they are completely intertwined so everywhere that I've worked if for whatever reason you referred for a consultant opinion it doesn't reduce or affect any of your midwifery appointments usually you keep those alongside because they're still absolutely important and you're still under the care of your community midwife team they're still your initial point of contact for everything we're just providing extra input it's absolutely not a case of to you become under a different team completely I think it, it it changes slightly how your care is delivered but actually the midwifery element is so vital because we don't commit we don't discuss the same things in our appointments that every mother and expectant parent needs to hear along their journey and I think lots of women get reverted back to midwifery led care you know they come to clinic and they we ask for an opinion and we say actually we don't think this has any impact on a pregnancy we're really happy you can be looked after in the community by your team and that's the last time we see a pay I, I will always slip into saying patient because as a doctor who's trained I try and catch myself and say parent all the time but sometimes I will say patient because as a doctor that feels the right word sometimes but often we'll ladies will pop back into midwifery care and we won't see them again and that's a great thing too yeah definitely it's just whatever's ever's right for that journey now for anyone who already follows you on instagram ellie and your um instagram handle is linked in the description one of the things i absolutely love the most about the post you put out there is the way you explain risk in pregnancy and birth and looking at statistics in different ways and making sure they're evidence-based because i think sometimes when we give statistics we absolutely give the right numerical value or the right percentage, but we almost give it in a biased way accidentally. And actually, when we look at it in different ways, that risk might feel very different to somebody in the way it might automatically be presented in some of the literature. So I wonder how, how do you recommend and how have you got your head around kind of balancing those risks and benefits of maybe a recommendation of an intervention or a different pathway in pregnancy? Well, this, uh, yeah, you're, this is one of my favourite topics and I could talk about this a lot, so I will try and keep it brief. <laughs> really important for anyone that is pregnant or even in any part of healthcare that's receiving information or receiving information about risk. Now, a nicer word to use is chance rather than risk. Um, but when you're discussing the risk and benefits or the pros and cons, because that's what we're talking about often, everything will have a pro and a con. You, you can't escape that. And it's important to understand that there's different ways that you need to receive the, that information so it, it's relatable to you. Now, there's two important um, risks, and they're called risks in medicine, so I will use that word to understand, and that's what's called the relative risk and the absolute risk. And these are two things I'm going to explain because it's really important to understand. But the relative risk is the likeliness of an event occurring in a group compared to in another group and this would be things like twice or double or two times greater the risk so it's relating it so for example a really good one and I am going to use an example is what happens if your waters have gone at term for more than 24 hours because this is a really easy example to use and the other half of the risk conversation is the absolute risk 
And that's what's the overall risk of something occurring in that situation. What's the actual number? And these sound the same, but they're actually really different. So, for example, if you take that breaking of the water, so the water's releasing around your due date, so after 37 weeks, and they've been gone for more than 24 hours, so you don't go into labour within 24 hours, in this country you'll be recommended an induction of labour, and that's what we recommend. And that we recommend that because the risk of infection goes up to your baby. Now, actually, what you might be told is that the relative risk, so someone might say to you, oh, the risk of infection is double after 24 hours, and that's the relative risk after 24 hours, the risk is double of the number of babies that will be affected by infection. But actually, the absolute risk, that number has gone from half a percent, so that's one in 200 babies, to 1%, which is one in 100 babies. So you can say the word double, and that is absolutely correct. The risk has doubled. However, it's a bit misleading because lots of us think the risk is doubled. We can imagine in our heads a huge number, but sometimes those numbers in healthcare and in medicine and in maternity can be really small. Now, I'm not saying do or don't have an induction, but what I am saying is those numbers are really important. You need to make sure you've got both of those numbers. So how does it change if you do or don't accept the intervention? But also, what's the actual numbers we're talking about? So for this situation, it's a really easy example, but you know, there's other statistics that are nice to think about. So when you talk about vaginal birth after cesarean, you can say that three out of four women will have a successful vaginal birth after one single cesarean, but you could also say that that's 75%, or you could say that that's 75 out of 100 women. And I think it's really important as midwives and obstetricians is that we use all of these different words because they might mean something to someone that that's the way they need it to understand. So because we all understand things differently, we need to work out, do they need it visually? Does someone want to hear it as a percentage? And is that a number that's going to really help them? Or is saying three out of four women will have a vaginal birth or is saying the other way around. Some people want, want it the other way. So saying one out of four ladies will still end up with a repeat cesarean. And I think so much of the time, this is the bit we do get wrong in, in any healthcare. And I think you're the same on your platform. We try and explain these things in different ways because it's imp that's the important part of the decision-making. What is the actual number? numbers we're talking about and does whoever we're talking to understand what we mean because sometimes we truly believe we've explained it well we truly believe we have um, given them all the information in a really clear way and so often if you were to have that conversation an hour later and check back it may be that that you haven't explained it properly so I don't know if that's helpful but they're just a couple of things and I do do regular posts about this because I think it's important to understand that difference between relative and using oh it's twice twice as much it is twice as much but find out what that bottom number is what's the real number because for you that number might be acceptable it might be completely unacceptable but that's because you're an individual and you're allowed to choose what's right for you yeah that's such an amazing point Ellie and I'm sure you know hopefully take a take-home message from from pregnant ladies listening to this is if you are presented with a choice in terms of those risk numbers then to ask for those in different ways so you can truly make an informed decision because if you don't understand the information then that decision that you make isn't from an informed place because you haven't understood it and it's important you're empowered to be able to do that 
And that's all part of having a positive journey, isn't it? That, that parents feel like they're making the decisions with all the information that's right for them. And I think that's what we have to be here to do. We're not here to tell parents to have, make one decision over another. We're here to make sure that we provide all the facts. And sometimes we don't know the numbers. So it, sometimes it's really difficult and it's difficult to personalise those numbers. But if we do know them and it's fair that we also admit if, if, if it's a, an area of research that hasn't happened yet, that we're not we're not. Um, clear on the exact numbers but these are the thoughts around what we're suggesting and where we do know the numbers using them in different ways and asking so if you don't understand what someone said to you just say no one will mind going back over it just say actually I didn't understand can you just write it down can you draw a diagram do you mind just writing those numbers down somewhere that I can take away and I can have a look at or give it asking for the reference if you'd like to read it yourself because that's another thing that you can do if you'd like all of the details and all of the information Definitely. And kind of on that, I would always say to women that always ask your healthcare professional for the reference rather than hitting Google, because there's a lot of inaccurate information that you could find on a basic internet search. So you're much better getting that resource from your healthcare provider because they'll make sure they give you something that's kind of gold standard. Absolutely. <laughs> And Ellie, I wanted to say, talking about making these decisions in pregnancy, how does your role as an obstetrician kind of fit into that? And how do you support women to make those informed decisions about their kind of pregnancy and birth choices? So I think I'll explain what I do in my head, because hopefully that will help um, anyone listening to understand how difficult it can be sometimes. So I think for all of us, we've got a pair of weighing scales in my head, and I hope parents have the same pair of weighing scales. And I, when I presented with information and people asked me to recommend, you know, what would I recommend? Or I'm having to discuss the pros and cons or the risks and the benefits of different things. I imagine two little scales and I add different parts of the woman's history or the pregnancy journey so far. Information we've got from scans or blood tests, it, things that the couple have written on their birth preferences also and you add them to little scales and you imagine well this is this adds towards the pros and this adds towards the cons because unfortunately you do have to personalize risks and you can't just have a blanket rule for everybody and say if you've had one cesarean section the, a vaginal birth is the right thing for you because there's lots of factors that will play that will affect the way the pros and the cons are balanced on those scales so I imagine I, I physically imagine a pair of scales in my head so when I'm trying to work out what's safe what's right what's the what's the best um, way to discuss options and to help parents come to a conclusion that's right for them we have to talk through their own individual pair of scales and what they would like to put on them and what includes including in their decision making I think you need to do the same so if you're presented with an option or a discussion for you for example if you know the recovery not being able to drive maybe for six weeks after a cesarean that could be a really important thing for you in your decision making about having a cesarean section if you live quite isolated you don't have any support and you need to do the school run that could be really important if you don't drive for example another mother might 
might say, well, that's irrelevant. I don't, I don't need to balance that on my scales. I don't need to worry about that risk. That's not something that's important in my decision-making. So that's what I would say is take each of the things you're being presented with and work out how important they are to you, how much you value them, how much if that risk or that chance or that complication happened, how significant would that be to you? Because we're all different and we're all allowed to have an individual perspective of risk. And I think we shouldn't apply a blanket rule and say, these are serious risks and many women wouldn't accept these because actually some people are more risk averse than others. And all of our weighing scales, if we look at them would look differently and that's completely normal and natural. And I'd hope that even yours and mine would look different. And we base that on so many things, even from our personal situation and our previous experiences will affect how we make decisions and it's okay that we recognize that when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply I think that's a really nice point, actually, Ellie, for mums or parents listening to recognise is that the obstetrician isn't just looking at you in terms of how that correlates to a textbook or the literature. We're all individual people and that you're actually considering their whole social background and their psychological background, as well as the kind of physical um, presentation that might be in front of you with them as well. It's their whole picture, isn't it? And, and their preferences, like you said, as well. It's taking that whole, whole thing into account to make that individualised package of care for each mum and baby, which is what it's all about, isn't it? We're all unique and that's what makes the world wonderful. And I think that's lost a lot. I think people don't recognise that that's what lots of the decisions that we do. I see quite a few women who say oh my friend or my family or I've spoken to someone else and it's really difficult because that is absolutely correct and how that decision was made for another couple or a friend or a friend of a friend or a family member will be very different because every pregnancy is unique and you know, looking at maybe induction of labour around a due date, for example, that is very different if somebody comes in and they've got other risks or other complications in their pregnancy, or if their pregnancy has been very straightforward and has been completely healthy to date. Even those two patients, they could be on the same day with the same gestation of baby. We might look at those risks or those benefits differently because they are different. And I think we need to remember that at all times that we can't look at a lady and not just take into that social and environmental factors that can impact partners. They might have preferences as well. So it's important to remember the birth partner at all times and what their thoughts are on the situation, because sometimes, you know, they are forgotten along the decision making process and I think particularly at the moment it's important to remember to check in with them to make sure they haven't got questions because they might not have been at an original consultation because of what's going on at the minute. Yeah that's another really lovely point actually is that we're looking after that whole family unit aren't we and making sure it's positive for that whole that whole family um, which is all all kind of part of the the joy of maternity and I guess it's unique in that way isn't it but it's that real kind of family-centered care which is lovely. 
it is. I don't think many uh, other areas of the hospital work in the way that maternity does. And that has amazing positives and negatives because people either really understand how our maternity services work or sometimes hospitals don't because we are so unique how we how we operate and how we manage our services and work at, with, a, with those family units, recognising that this is a journey for, for all of those parents on that journey. So I, I love it. I love it for that reason as well, because it's so nice working and looking after birth partners along their transition too. Um, but as an obstetrician, I would be no good looking after a man medically. I can say that for nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm so with you on that, if you love it. <laughs> love it. So Ellie, we talked a little bit there about induction of labour. And I, I think, I don't know about you, but it's probably one of the questions that I find crops up the most when it comes to making decisions. And induction can be recommended for so many different reasons for each individual concept. But I just wondered if you could kind of explain what a conversation should kind of look like and things that women should be asking and obstetricians explaining when it comes to navigating the recommendation of an induction of labour. Yeah, and I completely agree. I think induction is something that lots more women are hearing as part of their pregnancy journey now. So I think it's important that women have thought about it. Um, earlier in their pregnancy not necessarily waiting just have an idea about the process and the reason for that because there's lots of occasions and there are definitely lots of occasions that you may be recommended an induction during your pregnancy as a planned event so you know from quite early on that the doctor has recommended that I'm going to be induced around my due date for example and that could be for different reasons that could be for different medical problems or pre-existing pregnancy reasons that they that there's been that recommendation so those parents know from a really long amount of time they've had a lot of time to look at all the research make decisions that are right for them plan an induction and even do the research that means that they've made the decision that they feel happy with but there is occasions when there's a slightly more unpredictable element towards the end of pregnancy where for whatever reason it wasn't the plan and we completely understand that but things do steer slightly from that pathway that me that raises a suspicion or a concern that an obstetrician feels that it would be safer for to deliver your baby and to bring on labor rather than allowing the pregnancy to continue and all of these things are absolutely your choice but obstetricians tend not to make that recommendation unless the benefits of delivering baby and getting on with the birth do outweigh the risks of continuing the pregnancy and I think that can be sometimes happen again as a slightly more uh, planned so maybe you come in and there's a, a level of suspicion that something may be developing that might be untoward and they say we'd like to look and do some more investigations but we might recommend an induction in the next few days so again you've got a bit of time it's quite uncommon that someone would come in and on that same day we'd say we think we need to induce you now that would be uncommon it does happen but in all occasions there should be time for you to be able to make a decision that's right for you and in that you should absolutely receive the exact rationale from the obstetrician looking after you so why do they really recommend it what are they worried about what's their concern how serious is that concern because everything's a spectrum everything's a continuum so there are certain things that are more worrying than others but also it's important that you understand why and 
that will help in your decision making because just like we talked about there's some risks that you might be happy to accept that another mother might not and again that's fine and then it's important to make sure you understand what would your options be if you didn't want to proceed with the induction and now that is something that is absolutely your choice and I wouldn't want anyone to listen to this to think that whenever they meet an obstetrician and they're offered an intervention that that's a decision being made that's the start of a discussion and every mother and parent has a choice about everything regarding their health their well-being and their maternity care so at that point you'd it'd be really important to find out what would the alternative options be in that situation so for example if you didn't feel an induction was right for you how would the obstetrician or the midwife make sure that your pregnancy continues as safely as possible and that might often be something like providing extra surveillance or extra monitoring of you and your baby and that's things that we can discuss because that might be the more that might be the right option for you but equally you might prefer to go with the induction so then make sure that you truly understand what the process would be because every hospital does manage induction of labor slightly differently and that and that varies on your medical and your obstetric history as well so it's important that you ha- you find out how the obstetrician would plan that induction to work and how it works in the hospital that you're being cared for in and at what point you would be expected to have your birth partner or not have your birth partner that's an important consideration and about when you'd come into hospital and when you'd be expected to go home afterwards. So those are the main things, just really understanding what the um, rationale is, what the options are and what truly the process is, because then you can decide if it's right for you, feeling like you, you've you made a choice that you understand, because I wouldn't want anyone to go away afterwards and say, oh, I didn't quite understand that that's what this meant, because that would be really upsetting later down the line and could affect how successful your labor is if you you know did have a rise in your stress and your adrenaline yeah definitely and that's a really great point it comes back to that making informed choices doesn't it and having all that information and feeling empowered to do so and I don't know about you Ellie but in my experience even when there is some kind of twists and turns in, in a labor or birth journey when women have been given all that proper information in a nice balanced way like you described and have truly made that that informed choice themselves but kind of regardless of how their their birth ends up looking they generally feel really positive and empowered because those are choices that they've made for them and their baby and that's what's so important that we that we get right isn't it I completely agree and I think I've really noticed that over the last few years as I've become you know more experienced is that they if you provide that balanced counselling and really facilitate a discussion and a decision that's right for that those that couple or those parents then actually if for whatever reason things do evolve during the situation then that's still that they already feel like they're on the journey with you and they're already um on a pathway to something that they truly are happy to go down and that's really important and I think having that time to make that decision is part of that so it's very rare that there should be a decision that you're asked to make that is very very urgent and if that's the case there's truly a risk to mother or baby the obstetrician will be very forthcoming in saying this is why I think we need to make this decision quite quickly but in lots of situations there will be time and that time can be wonderful for you to have a conversation with your support network to read the written information so all hospitals will have written information about induction of labor 
all hospitals will have information that you should be able to take away with you or find in a different format so sometimes people need accessible information and that's there is ways of, of accessing that and there's other resources that are not produced by a hospital so there's national guidelines that parents might want to refer to and again that's why I do advocate for thinking and looking into some of these things before um, you get to that point just in case there's anything that you really don't understand or wouldn't be happy with so you've got time to have that conversation with your midwife and I'm not advocating everyone thinking at the start of their pregnancy oh what would happen if I was induced but I just think recognizing that a number of women do have an induction of labour and it may not be um, as helpful for them if they find that that's thrown on them at the last minute and they may have pre preferred to just have a rough understanding of what that would mean slightly earlier. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's preparing ourselves, isn't it, for these eventualities. Now, one of the other things, Ellie, that quite often crops up, and I guess this is where sometimes that time scale can be a little bit more of a challenge, is the recommendation of an assisted birth or kind of a birth intervention in those final stages of labour. And yeah, I think that element of time can be a little bit more of a challenge sometimes at this point. So how would we kind of approach those conversations? So this is actually one of my favourite topics. And it's one of my favourite topics because I think there's a lot of misconception surrounding instrumental birth. And now we, we call now assisted vaginal birth, assisted vaginal delivery. And I really am passionate about this topic because I love being part of a woman's journey into helping her achieve a vaginal birth. Because for many women, if I meet them, because a midwife has said, asked me to come and review, um, wondering if a mother does um, to have a discussion about whether a mother, an instrumental birth or an assisted birth would be suitable and would be recommended, that's not ever usually on someone's birth plan. So it's a really um, op nice opportunity to meet a parent, but also it, 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 we have to recognize and it's net you know you know walking into a room that often it's very rare that a mother is excited that you have come into the room for that particular reason and there is a few occasions sometimes when someone's had a really long difficult labor they're very pleased that we may be at a point where we're, we're recommending helping with the birth of a baby to expedite birth but often that's not the case and it's really nice to be able to go into parents and reassure them about an assisted vaginal delivery because I do think there are some misconceptions and I think um, absolutely an assisted vaginal birth does carry slightly increased risk compared to a spontaneous vaginal birth however at that final part of labor when you've come all that way you've got all through the first stage of labor to fully dilated and uh, nearing the birth of your baby at that point uh, an assisted vaginal birth is usually at, is safer than a cesarean section at that point so I think that's not something that many mothers or expectant parents are aware of and I think it's nice to be able to go and have that discussion and talk through the pros and cons in a really balanced way and some of the benefits that you have in that you can remain in in the birth room that's been set up so where the couple have been laboring during the during the previous few hours and often that delivery that birth can occur in that room and that's a really nice thing it doesn't always mean you do need to go to the theatre sometimes there, there is a recommendation to go to the operating theatre but the obstetrician seeing you will discuss whether they think that's possible and they'll discuss which of the two types of 
instrument so whether that's a forceps or a ventouse and again that's an important part of that conversation is just going back to the really understanding the why why is that doctor recommending it because there's a I think a misconception that we would recommend it if um, we didn't truly believe it was necessary and that just doesn't happen midwives wouldn't ask us to attend a birth and to, to review a lady if they didn't think it was necessary and we absolutely would never perform an instrumental or an assisted vaginal birth unless we truly believed it was the right thing so at that point really have that discussion and understand why are they making that recommendation what sort of instrument are they um, recommending and there will be a very clear reason why again the the, the lots of um people think that the instruments are the same and they're kind of intertwinable and they are very similar, but there is a very big important differences between the two and which scenario and which situation we can use each in. And that's part of the decision-making process. And then it's about discussing again, what are those alternative options? Because there'll be a very, very small number of situations where the obstetrician will have a serious concern that something needs to happen quite quickly. But the majority of the time there will absolutely be time for you to have time on your own without a midwife or a doctor present to have a discussion with your birth partner about if it's so whether it's okay and the right thing for you to go ahead with and to think through those risks and benefits of that um assisted birth and I think what's really nice is it does mean for you that lots of the same um, elements that are usually in a birth plan are still possible like delayed cord clamping and immediate skin to skin and having the lights dimmed and a very calm birth environment are still very possible because we are just trying to replicate and um, replicate and I don't know what other word I would say uh reinforce vaginal birth as much as possible we're just trying to replicate the same birth mechanism we're just trying to help along a little bit so I don't know if that helps a little bit but I do think it's something that I really am fond of because I think it's a part something that we really can help a mother to achieve vaginal birth and that keeps future pregnancies lower risk which is just fantastic yeah definitely and I think that's a really lovely point about the kind of looking at that birth plan or all that couple's birth preferences and how so much of that can copy across. So actually, although the birth is being assisted, and I love that term assisted rather than instrumental, because that really is what it is, isn't it? Mum is still doing all of that amazing physiology and all of her incredible pushes. And then your role is to assist with that, with that mechanism and that vaginal birth. And then all that other stuff that can come in. And I love sort of encouraging parents to still have their music of their choice playing and things like that. And that can happen even in a theatre setting. So less needs to change than sometimes we think when we think about kind of birth intervention for sure which is lovely yeah and I think we don't we, we're getting better at emphasizing that and that's through lots of better antenatal education really you know having a plan so if I'm recommended to have an assisted birth what are the elements of my birth preferences I'd like the doctor so the obstetrician to know um, I would like still in whichever setting and like you said that's lots of things are absolutely possible in the operating theatre whether that is a vaginal birth or a cesarean section lots of things can be part of your birth preferences they will still be possible um, just make sure you mention it because then we can support you. Yeah absolutely and that comes back to us all being there for the same um, same role and the same end game which is your birth experience and keeping you lovely and safe and having a positive experience. 
Now, Ellie, we've talked loads about your role, and I'm sure everyone agrees that it's super exciting and a wonderful, wonderful job that you're doing for us all as women. But what do you enjoy the most about being an obstetrician, if it is possible to limit it to a few things, I suppose? So I think the variety and the unpredictability of the job is actually a really exciting thing to be part of. And I think every single pregnancy every woman, every baby, every birth is completely different. And I think for me, that provides an opportunity to recognize that and to enjoy that part of my job. So to enjoy the fact that I don't just go to work and see a lady with a, with a condition. And in medicine, sometimes we do get very condition focused, but that's not the same in maternity because we do use all of the different influences such as social factors, the obstetric history, your medical history, the scan findings of your baby, the preconception care and counseling that you had all of these are intertwined and that's what makes each pregnancy so unique and I think we're so lucky as midwives and obstetricians that we get to be part of those unique situations and see how birth evolves because I think we know that the there's so many twists and turns and surprises in both directions so you know times when you say to a mother in the antenatal clinic you know you are at higher risk of complication and actually that that complication so the majority of the time never occurs and we see those pregnancies evolve and birth um, be a totally wonderful experience for lots of parents so I feel so privileged to be part of that I think that's such a magical thing to be able to do I can't imagine doing anything else but um, I'm really in, enjoying that and I think I have always been passionate about obstetrics but I've definitely noticed since having the opportunity to discuss with parents and really understand their birth preferences and really understand um, things that are important to them and really listening to them I've definitely shifted my own practice Amazing. I think I'm really enjoying re not rewriting the story but just recognizing that it's important we break down some of these barriers between obstetricians midwives low higher risk care all of these things because I do think it's a continuum and a spectrum and that it's not quite as black and white as I think we sometimes make out. There's a huge amount of grey and it's really important that we recognise that there's lots of things we can do to support women to have a healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby. And that's what we're all here for, to make sure that mother and baby are safe and that their birth experience is something that they can really enjoy and feel as a positive one. Well, and, and their pregnancy experience, the whole journey really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Ellie. And that whole journey being positive and empowering just sets you up for a more positive and empowering transition into motherhood and then sets you up for that positive future. So it's also interlinked, which is why it's amazing to have people like you helping educate us in the right way to have those discussions and make those decisions. Now, Ellie, I always ask everybody that comes on the podcast for three top tips. And I wondered whether you could give us three top tips that you might give to women, perhaps in the beginning of their pregnancy or even maybe preconception, about making their pregnancy or birth decisions. It's going to be hard to narrow it down to three, I think, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> so I am still a big believer in the question why. And, I, and I bang, I've mentioned that a couple of times today, but I think 
there are lots of things that we um, recommend and I think we know what we're thinking in our head and we can and the midwife knows and we know what we're talking about and we train for many many years to do that and sometimes we really don't explain exactly why we're making a recommendation and truly explain why the risk is more or less or what the pros and cons are what the benefit is in this particular case why it's being suggested this time or in this way because that does vary even from pregnancy to pregnancy for some women so and that actually does vary along the pregnancy journey so you may be told earlier on in your pregnancy that we don't recommend a cesarean section and then suddenly later on you're you're recommended a cesarean section and that can be really conflicting information and it's because something shifted but understanding why I think is a such an important tip if you keep asking that question until you feel like you do understand the decision that you're being asked to make should help and that's um, all the way through to preconception like you said so why are you being asked to take folic acid for example if you know that you'll invest more into it you you might be less likely to forget you might be um, more inclined to start taking that medication or for whatever other reason it is during your pregnancy so I like that one that's probably my biggest tip is to make sure you do um, you don't just do what you've been told because that's a very good patient or expectant parent thing to do but it's often important for you just to have that closure to know exactly why the doctor or the midwife has recommended that like being an inquisitive toddler isn't it they would never do anything without understanding why (laughs) exactly so um, I think that's and then it's taking and because you you will know your reason and you'll know your own situation so that's why my sort of second thing is that you have to personalize the situation to you and that's really hard because I won't know that as an obstetrician or a midwife won't know some of those really subtle things in your history or your birth experience to date that are really important that will impact you and your situation so you have to really personalize it because often research and studies and audits don't take into account all of those human factors and I think it's important for you to tell us if there's something particularly for you as a couple or in your medical history or your obstetric history so your pregnancy history to date that is going to impact your decision making but also impact um the the situation that you're in or the choices that you might make because then we can help you because we can have that discussion so a bit like i talked about earlier with the for example the driving after a cesarean section you know those are really personalized Um, elements of a decision making process and it's important that we know about those because some of the time although we do have your medical history we don't always realize how important some of those things are to you and I think it is your pregnancy and it's your baby and it's your birth so I wouldn't want you to um, feel like you were being forced on a decision that was right for somebody else but wasn't right for you so just make sure that you have asked does it, you know, does it change things that I personally feel about, you know, X, you know, I personally, I'm really passionate to breastfeed, does this change, for example, as just a little example, because it, the answer might be yes or no, but we might not have thought 
that you would want to be um that would be important to you and that's not because we're bad doctors or midwives that's just because everybody is different and if you're on call you might go from room to room and you might meet a couple that have um having a discussion about an induction and then you might meet uh, another couple who are coming in to talk about a previous cesarean section and what their birth plans are this time and you do have to flip your brain quite quickly so it's helpful if you can just um understand that that's what we're trying to recognize that you're all everybody is individual but sometimes we do need to help with that so please let us know if there's something that we need to know because then we can really try to do our best definitely definitely and the third thing you asked the three didn't you so yeah. i think really do take your time to make a decision where you need it so like I said before I think there's very few situations and they do happen in, in maternity but it's rare that there is such urgent situations where we are so worried about you or your baby that that decision has to be made very very quickly and if it's a decision that can be um, allowed for a little bit of time take that time to fully consider and discuss with your birth partner and your support network read the written information that you're given, ask for access to different resources. So whether that's resources of national guidelines, find out those numbers that we talked about. So really understand the numbers and why they're relevant to you. And if there's any way that you can have more personalized numbers and then just take the time to make sure it's the decision that's right for you. Because nobody would want you to make a snap decision that isn't right for you there'll be some circumstances where that may be the situation because of the urgency or um, an emergency and that should be explained to you afterwards so someone should come and explain why that was the case later but the vast majority of times things don't have to be decided on the day particularly at the moment when you may feel slightly isolated from your support network at an appointment or at a scan or during the early part of the labor so that's absolutely fine to ring someone to say to the midwife or the doctor do you mind just stepping out for a few minutes and letting me have time to discuss it in private um, and we'll let you know and we nobody will ever be offended if you don't accept something we offer we're only here to provide you with the options for you to be able to make decisions and choices that are right for you because this is your pregnancy it's your baby it's your birth and it's not for us to decide what's right for you we're just here to support you amazing that's so great thank you so much Ellie and I hope that anyone listening feels a lot more reassured if they do find that they meet an obstetrician along their journey and feels more confident in asking those questions um, and navigating their choices in the right way for them so thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your ethos because I absolutely love it and I know that all the ladies who you are supporting are very very grateful for your for your care and expertise as well so thanks for taking some time out for us Ellie. Oh well I'm very glad to I've loved coming to have a chat with you Pip this has been absolutely brilliant I do love my job I love everything about it so spending an extra hour talking about everything obstetrics is <laughs> my, one of my favorite things to do so if you ever want me to come back on I'll be happy to and to everyone listening if you are pregnant at the moment have the best pregnancy have the best journey and do not be worried about meeting an obstetrician we are only here to support you and for whatever reason if you do need to speak to one of us just your midwife will always be able to get in touch and there's always information on the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists website that's evidence-based information for you if you need anything else amazing thanks so much ellie have a lovely afternoon thank you pip thank you so much for listening to this week's episode 
I really hope you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower. For daily free information, inspiration, or details on our bespoke antenatal education courses, head over to my social medias at midwife underscore pip and my website midwifepip.com. I would love to hear from expectant mums who have found this episode useful and wish to embrace further support on their wellness journey. Pop your details in the Your Pregnancy Journey tab on my website and I will be back in touch. Thank you and see you next time. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.